Welcome to Base Liberty, your source for politics. The government is way too big, way too intrusive, we are overtaxed. History. The right to self-defense is a natural, God-given right. The founders clearly understood this. Economics. We can't just keep printing off money, we can't just keep borrowing money. If you think this path is sustainable, then I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. And more. From a liberty perspective. I've got to disagree with you there. The income tax is clearly immoral because it assumes you don't own the fruit of your labor, the government. With your host, Darren Wisely. Deregulation and decentralization are the answers if we're ever going to get this thing back on track. We need to look to families, churches, and charities, not the state. I'm Darren Wisely here on Base Liberty, Episode 6. Today is Friday, August 21st, 2020. Today's episode's a little different than we traditionally do, but I thought it would be very interesting and informative for you. So David Coleman, the attorney for Carl Mankey, the Owasso Barber, and if you live here in Michigan, you have to be under a rock to not know who the Owasso Barber is, but if you're outside of Michigan, I'm not sure how much national press the story made, although I know it received some. Uh, Carl Mankey is a barber. He refused to comply with Governor Whitmer's draconian shutdowns, and he ended up getting his license taken away, but he practiced anyways. The guy is a true hero for the cause of liberty and for taking the hard stand. I have so much respect for him. And I'll post some links if you want to read up more on that story if you're not that familiar with it. So his attorney came all the way down to Hillsdale to give a speech, and that's exactly what we're going to have for you on today's episode. And Chaboy here had the privilege and honor to give the opening remarks. Coming out tonight, we've got a really uh, special guest here, uh, David Coleman. He is the attorney for Carl Mankey, the Owasso Barber, who stood up to Governor Whitmer. And it's a re real big deal that he came all the way, all the way out to Hillsdale to speak with us, um, taking time out of his day, fighting tyrants, and driving about an hour. So uh, let's just give him a round of applause and thank you for coming out. And then Joel Stewart here, he's the one who set up the event. Um, he's a very important figure to our community. He's got a Monday Bible study uh, a lot of us in here are a part of. So let's say thanks to Joel as well. So some say the earth is flat. Some say the earth is round. If the earth is round, can parliament flatten it? If the earth is flat, can the king make it round? These were St. Thomas More's words at his trial. What was he on trial for? Refusing to acknowledge that the king of England was the supreme leader of the church. Thomas More could have denounced that, he could have went along with it, but he didn't because he refused to denounce the truth. Fifteen minutes later, Thomas More was convicted of treason and he was later executed. So what's the point of that? The point is some things are so natural, no government can change them. Our founding fathers clearly understood this, that we have 
natural, God-given rights, as they said in the Declaration of Independence, endowed by our Creator. And in the Ninth Amendment, does anyone here know the text of the Ninth Amendment? Where's your tan at when you need them? Um, the Ninth Amendment says that, uh, basically paraphrasing, it says rights, not in the Bill of Rights, you still have other rights other than those that are written down. So the point is, we didn't go off the English model that said, here's your rights, we're going to write them down for you. The United States says, you have God-given rights, and the government only exists to protect those rights. So what are these rights? Things that exist as part of your humanity. The freedom of speech. The right to defend yourself. The right to worship in the way that you want to. The right to work and earn a living and provide for yourself and your family. And that's exactly what Carl Mankey understood. He knew that he had a right to earn an honest living and Governor Whitmer couldn't take that away from him. And that's what a real patriot is right there. Someone who is willing to do the unpopular thing, just like Carl Mankey, just like St. Thomas More, just like so many other American heroes. Now I'm going to leave you with this. Our liberty is under attack. Couldn't be more clear amid the shutdowns. If you're in the younger generation, you need to do some hard thinking. I guess there's not too many in the younger generation here, but you need to do some real hard thinking because there's going to be nothing left for our kids if we don't make some serious changes. The founders of the United States weren't some bums, some Antifa thugs who had nothing to do and said, you know what, let's just cause some riots and maybe we'll get some free stuff out of it and you know, life can't get any worse. We're just sitting around playing Xbox all day. That wasn't it at all. The founders of the United States were wealthy, they were politically connected, they were almost aristocrats. But yet, as the Declaration says, they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. They were willing to risk it all for the cause of liberty. And we need to be willing to do the same. Now, I hope it doesn't come to bloodshed, and I'm certainly not advocating that if the NSA is watching, but we need to be willing to put everything on the line. That might be losing a license to practice your job. That might be financial difficulty. That might be being thrown in jail. And yes, some of us, that might be being killed. But if we don't have people willing to stay, stand up and sacrifice it all, by golly, we're going to have nothing left. So let's listen to Attorney David Coleman's story of an American patriot right here in Michigan. And let's think about what we need to do to advance liberty, to protect our rights, and not bow down to tyrannical government. Thank you. Thank you, Darren. Uh, we were supposed to have uh, somebody else here that was going to join us, uh, but he wasn't able to make it. It was uh, Micah Beckwith, and he kind of wanted to come here and tell his story. 
and I'm going to try to summarize it, of how important it is for people in Hillsdale to take a stand. A lot of people don't realize Hillsdale's very important historically. Hillsdale has a huge national reach. So what happens in Hillsdale spreads across the nation. Um, Micah Beckwith was able to, through connections of people in Hillsdale, uh, was able to work with John Rattan uh, and get, uh, speaking of the devil, <laughs> John, uh, was able to speak with John Rattan and actually uh, get, an, get all of the information that he needed for his sheriff, um, his local sheriff in northern Indiana, uh, to actually help his community to stand up against their governor and actually sway their governor's decisions and change their mandate. So people in Hillsdale have an impact. When we do something, we impact the nation around us. So I think it's very, very important for us to understand where we stand in this nation. Not only do we have Hillsdale College, but we have a reach we have a historical reach, and we are very important in this in this broader community as far as uh, as far as America is concerned. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do my introduction here for uh, David. Um, Darren already did an excellent job. Uh, I'll probably be going over a few things, kind of like what he did as well. So twelve score and four years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty. As residents of Hillsdale, we have heard our entire lives the teaching of the founding fathers. We are historically conservative with a long history of standing up and fighting for liberty. Patriotism is in our blood. Now that's not all of us, but thank God it's most of us. We've heard and studied the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the Federalist Papers. We walk away from reading these founding documents feeling patriotic. And afterwards, we think to ourselves, I'm proud to be an American. We take our hats off and we stand for the national anthem. We put our hands on our hearts and say the Pledge of Allegiance. For so long, We've been hearers of these words, these sacred documents and rituals. But now as Americans, as natives of this great historical community of Hillsdale, we are called to take the lead for the sake of liberty and not just be hearers of these words, but also be doers. These documents are not poetry in a sense that they are just made to make us feel like we're more Americans. They're words of action, words that great men sacrificed their lives for. It's our duty to uphold them. We do not and we, we do not and we continue, if we do not continue in this trajectory, or if we continue in this trajectory, sorry, we will no longer be able to stand proudly with our hands on our hearts, eyes fixed on the stars and stripes, but we will be forced to kneel, to bow even, to a hammer and sickle. You may say, Joel, you're nuts. You're just asking us to wear masks. 
to protect ourselves. Fair enough. I've been told I've been crazy before. Just ask my wife. But I ask you to think about this with me. With a mask, your identity is gone. With a mask, there are no more smiles. With a mask, we lose our sense of connection with fellow Americans. How often have you walked past somebody you thought looked familiar, but because of the mask, you were not sure enough to say hello? And even if you did say hello, would they hear how the new muffled sound of your voice? How many times do you see people chatting in the produce anymore? The very things that make community strong, the sense of togetherness, and the communication with our neighbors are all stopped when we're forced to cover our faces with these veils of submission. We must ask ourselves, what kind of America do we want to leave behind? I don't want this new normal, do you? A survey was recently taken with uh, residents of Branch in Hillsdale County, where 106 people responded. They were asked if they support Governor Whitmer's mandate. 36% said yes, and 67% said no. They were asked, do you believe the mandates are the same as law? 17% said yes, and 83% said no. Then they were asked, how often do you wear a mask in public? 34% said always, 7% said sometimes, 33% said only when asked to, and 26% said never. How I see this is roughly two-thirds are not scared. That's a big majority. A third just wear masks when you ask because they want to be allowed entry. The 26% who never wear a mask probably avoid places of business that demand customers to wear them. I know how tight small business margins can be. You cannot afford these losses. So you're stuck now and you need to make a decision. Which customers do you disappoint? The overwhelming two-thirds majority of American, of American loving patriots or the minority who subscribe to this new normal. Which group do you want backing you up in these times? If it were I, I'd stand with the Patriots. Because it's not the kind of America I want to live in. This is not the kind of America I want to leave my children. We have major decisions we have to make now and in the months ahead. Do we toss away these rags that bind us and embrace liberty? Or do we bring forth a new America, a socialist America, an America with a new normal, an America with Joe Biden as president, sitting in a rocking chair in the White House, rocking back and forth with cuckoo birds flying around his head, an America with Camilla Harris running us into the ground, an America with new pandemics, new lockdowns, new curfews, and no personal property, which means no small businesses, and taxes so high that all the efforts your labor, of your labor go straight to the government, and they decide what you need to survive. 
That's the direction we're heading. If you think that what I'm saying is crazy, ask those who lived through the rise of totalitarian socialist regimes. They will tell you this is how it started. Look at history and you will see it's repeating itself before your very eyes. Do we stop it now? Or do we wait until socialism is running full steam? Can we even stop it then? I think it will be too late. So let's hold on to our liberty. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. But don't let the government force you. Don't let mass crusaders force you. We are at a tipping point where we have to decide if we want to live in the America created by our founding fathers or an America that's being created now by the people who hate everything America has ever stood for. So I say stand up, Hillsdale. Stand up for everything we hold dear. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce to you somebody who can give us some advice on how we can stand up. Somebody who has been standing up for quite some time. Somebody who's helped others stand up. He's a Michigan hero, in my book. He's a man who stands up for our founding documents. A man who's taken a stand against tyranny and stands along those, alongside those who do as well. A true American patriot, Attorney David Coleman. everybody hear me? All right. Well, thanks for those kind words, Joel. When I hear things like that, I, I think you're talking about my dad. So, <laughs> you know, uh, some of you may not uh, have known him or remember him, but he was uh, an attorney uh, here in Michigan for over 50 years, was a judge for over 30 years, was the Republican nominee for Supreme Court back in the mid-80s. Maybe some of you worked for him on the campaign. I remember going all around the state uh, campaigning for my dad. Then we had uh, fun practicing together for a while until he passed on. Now I have the pleasure of practicing uh, with my son, Stephen, and he's been out now for 10 years. I know I don't look old enough to have uh, a child that old, <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot to be said for tradition, for legacy, for family, and when I think of Hillsdale, I think of those things. So when Joel called me up and said, uh, hey, can you do something on Zoom, I think you said, or something like that, I said, 
hey, I'm only an hour or so away. Do you mind if I come down? So uh, glad to do it and to be here tonight with all of you. Um, just a little background. I've been in uh, practicing law now for uh, since 1982. I'll let you do the math <laughs> on that. And um, uh, started out in Lansing and pretty much stayed in Lansing my entire career. And some of you might recall Alan Cropsey and Harmon Cropsey was from this neck of the woods, was state senator, state rep. Alan was also. Um, we had a law partnership for about six years in the late 80s, early 90s. Then Alan had the audacity to run for office again and win, so <laughs> we had to end our partnership at that point. But over the years, um, it's uh, been a pleasure to represent a lot of people from churches down in Benton Harbor who were being attacked by the state because of their daycare center, to homeschoolers all around the state. Many of you might remember the DeYoung case in 1993, and that that decision freed up homeschooling here in Michigan. And we went pretty much overnight from being one of the worst states in the country to homeschool to one of the best states. Um, other cases over the years, uh, some of you may have just heard recently, uh, the name Keith Wood, ring a bell with anybody? Well, Keith was the uh, retired pastor um, up in Big Rapids who was handing out pamphlets on the public sidewalk and got arrested. And we just won in the Supreme Court uh, a few weeks ago on uh, his case and got a five to two decision. So it was kind of an interesting, uh, interesting mix of the justices that are on the court right now and ruled our way that, uh, he, that we still have some First Amendment rights anyway. About seven, eight years ago, um, I was uh, minding my own business, practicing law, and our township uh, put forth a uh, non-discrimination law to add transgender, gender identity, sexual orientation to their non-discrimination law. So we kind of organized some folks in our little community there and uh, fought it. Ultimately did not prevail. We had a totally liberal board. And so uh, it was actually a 6-0 vote in favor of this. And I can remember standing up at that meeting and telling everybody in the community, there were over 300 people there. Uh, the vast majority, probably 280 of them, opposed. And yet, the trustees didn't care. And so I stood up at the meeting and I said, hey, I just want to tell everyone here and let your friends and neighbors and business people know. If these folks come after you under these, this ordinance, come see me, we'll represent you for free. <laughs> and uh, you should have seen the look on their faces. So now this law has been in place for seven years and they have not prosecuted a single person under it. And I keep waiting because I would love, it's blatantly unconstitutional and I'd be happy to fight that one. But uh, in any event, uh, at that same time, uh, Professor William Wagner, who's, I don't know if some of you know Will, anybody that ring a bell? Um, he's a constitutional law professor. We've known each other about 20 years, but he joined in on the fight and we got to talking and we both realized, man, there's stuff coming down the pike here. I mean, we've been seeing it for years, but it's coming quicker. We need to set something more formal up. So we started the Great Lakes Justice Center. And if anybody's interested in going to our website to see what's up there, greatlakesjc.org, greatlakesjc.org for Justice Center. And we started, along with my son, 
um, and a couple other attorneys, this organization. And ever since then, we've uh, just been getting more and more involved in lots of cases that are going on. Probably the last year and a half, maybe two years, we filed six briefs at the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, amicus briefs, if you're familiar with those, friend of the court briefs, where you support one party or the other in a case that's pending before the U.S. Supreme Court. Probably half those cases have been right to life cases, and we're advocating for the overturn of Roe v. Wade, obviously, uh, which was a ridiculous philosophy opinion that had nothing to do with the law. And so we have other cases, too, that, that we've been involved in, and we've filed briefs in different courts of appeals in the federal system all around the country. We've filed some lawsuits. We're in Western District Court right now where we sued the Williamson School District because they're allowing boys to be in the girls' bathrooms and showers and things like that. So, so we're suing over that right now in, in the Western District up in Grand Rapids. Um, we represented a, um, a man down in Florida, Mr. Beckwith, who had an electrical company. He was third generation owner, 150 employees. And when Obamacare came into effect, they started, you know, and the regulations started to come along a few years later, they tried to force him to pay for abortions and to pay for uh, abortion, you know, medical treatment and things like that, which of course he refused to do. And so then the Obama administration came in and said, well, we're going to fine you if you don't follow our regulations, $5 million, which of course would have put him out of business. So we filed uh, in district court down in Florida, and we got the second injunction in the whole country. One other guy beat us to it. <laughs> but we got the second one uh, against the enforcement of that regulation in violation of his religious beliefs. And that started that litigation. It's been going on for about six years. And we just, about three or four months ago, got a final order entered where we prevailed, and now they cannot come after him. Even you know, if administrations change, we have a court order, they can't go after him. And uh, so we've been involved in doing a lot of things. William uh, Wagner, Professor Wagner, is a former federal judge. Um, they homeschooled their kids here in Maryland. He was a U.S. attorney down in Florida. In fact, William got the largest uh, civil or criminal forfeiture award hundreds of millions of dollars ever in U.S. history, and that was Will's case, against uh, some pornography outlets that were selling their garbage all over. And he prosecuted them and put them out of business and got a huge award. Um, he served as a U.S. diplomat to Africa. He's really had an interesting career. <laughs> He's been a constitutional law professor for about 15 years, and now he works full-time. Uh, with Great Lakes Justice Center and Salt and Lake Global, which is the overriding organization. Um, and he works full-time, basically as a missionary, doing this kind of work all the time. He's been down, he's been to England, spoken to Parliament, he's uh, been to um, in Brazil, Peru, Colombia, a lot of countries in South America that have had him in to speak to their judiciary, to their Supreme Courts, to the legislatures, and things like that. So Will's a, a really good man. It's a lot of fun working with him. And uh, so with all that going on, I still try to make a little bit of money to pay the bills. So we have our own practice, Common Legal Group. 
and my son and I practice and we um, handle cases. And in fact, Carl Mankey hired us um, uh, to represent him. And you know, everybody said, uh, oh, you're gonna slow down so much. Nobody's gonna need a lawyer with all this COVID stuff going on. We have been so busy the last five months. <laughs> it's been the busiest we've been in probably 20 years. Uh, it's just crazy um, because of all these things going on. So gives you a little background. Um, I go to uh, a church in Lansing, South Baptist. Some of you may know, in fact, Ben Cuthbert, who's here in Hillsdale now, college, college Baptist, I think. Uh, church. He's the uh, new, I think he's been here a couple years now, senior pastor here in town there. Um, and uh, I actually, believe it or not, went to Hillsdale College for one semester and uh, transferred because of basketball. In my thinner days, I played a lot of basketball. You probably tell I'm a little tall. <laughs> so I ended up up at Northwood, which is a very similar school to Hillsdale in terms of their conservative values and all of that. So I ended up going up there to play basketball because that's what was most important at that time in my life, <laughs> was to have fun playing ball. So uh, anyways, I remember my time here in Hillsdale very fondly, learned a lot of good things from the professors here. And so it's a real privilege to be here tonight, Joel. I appreciate the offer and extending it. So let me just take maybe about a half hour to talk about some of the issues that are going on with these executive orders. Uh, you know how lawyers are, I might talk a little longer. <laughs> but I'll try to uh, leave some time for questions and answers, and I can stay around as long as people have questions. Um, be happy to try to help. Um, the bottom line with um, these executive orders is, in our legal opinion, and this is what we're fighting in cases all over the place, I think right now we have six or seven cases pending uh, right now in various stages uh, against the governor and against the state over the enforcement of these executive orders. We're representing some gym owners. Um, we're representing Frisky Orchards Farm Market. Any of you have heard of that? It was in the news last week uh, up by Charlevoix. We're uh, representing a number of people that are involved in various lawsuits. We just filed in the Court of Claims last week uh, on behalf of Frisky orchards to get an injunction to stop the state from going after them because they were threatening them with loss of their licenses so they could operate their business. They were threatening them with my OSHA violations, uh, you know, the safety uh, department in our state government, the work rules, that sort of thing, that you have to meet certain safety standards. And then they were threatening them with through the local county health department and threatening them to that they would get an injunction in court ordering them to be shut down based on their health risk to the community, which of course is non-existent. They, there's not been a single case of uh, the COVID virus having been caused at their facility, at their place of business. And there's not been a single death. In fact, in their county, Emmett County, um, which is just south of Charlevoix, up until today, they have not had a single death from the COVID virus in their county, not a single one. And yet here's the state coming in, threatening this third generation business also. It's been there 60 years and it's now the grandkids are running it and threatening them because they will not enforce the mask mandate. So this sort of uh, 
overbearing approach of the government right now is kind of what has launched us into, it's just kind of built on itself. Of course, you don't have to do any advertising or anything else, just the cases themselves kind of come and, you know, and when you win one, then you get another, and you win that one, you get another. So we thank the Lord have been having some success in these things, especially for Carl. They tried to shut him down, and we won in the Supreme Court with the health department part of the case. They are still going after him uh, on his license through the licensing action. We have a hearing coming up in a couple weeks uh, to continue that hearing. And they're still going after him with criminal charges. Because if you've read, how many of you have read the executive orders, or at least some of them? Be quite a few hands. You notice at the end it always says any violation of this order will, could result in a misdemeanor charge, a criminal misdemeanor charge. You can get 90 days or up to $500 fine, right? Okay. So that's actually one of the ways we're fighting um, these cases and we're having good success is that the governor does not have authority to use her state agencies to enforce her orders because the law is very clear. The law says the only penalty if you don't comply is a misdemeanor. That's it. Well, that doesn't have enough teeth. <laughs> you know, the governor doesn't like that. The other reason she doesn't like it is if you go into court, into our regular court system, and you're charged with a crime, you know, of violating her order, well, you have all your constitutional rights in a court, right? You have the right to a jury trial. You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to have an attorney. You have all these rights to call witnesses, force them to come all these constitutional rights that, that a lot of us have complained about over the years. You know, criminals getting off on technicalities, right? Well, a lot of times those technicalities come back around and protect us, and that's what's happening right now. Well, all of those kinds of constitutional protections, especially the right to a jury trial, you know, jury of your peers to decide whether or not you should be found guilty of something, all of that goes out the door because the governor is trying to use her state agency. And so what a lot of people don't realize is state agencies are not courts of law. They're an agency set up by the state. They're under the direct control of the governor. You have no jury trial. You have no right to remain silent. You have almost none of the constitutional rights that you would have in a court of law. And the judge, so-called, in this administrative process is an employee of the state, of the very department who's coming after you. Does that sound like a fair, you know, process to you it's ridiculous and so that's why the governor is trying to bootstrap in using her state agencies we keep calling it she's weaponizing her state agencies to try to enforce her executive orders now fortunately there's already been a decision at the court of claims by judge murray who also happens to be the chief judge of the court of appeals so his decision carries some weight and he ruled in a court of claims case that the governor cannot do that they were trying to enforce my OSHA work rules against the company, and they were trying to impose hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines and lengthy prison terms and things like that. Judge Murray slapped him down and said, you can't do it. Issued an order to the governor saying, you can't enforce all this agency stuff through the guise of your executive orders. Now, it's kind of an interesting fine line because if you do actually violate a MIOSHA rule or reg, they can come after you for that. But they're not doing that. They're just saying, well, you're violating the governor's executive order. Therefore, we can come after you through this agency. You see the difference? So no violation, actual violation of any rule. 
or anything that that agency is supposed to enforce. No, it's just simply you're violating the governor's order. So we're going to come after you. And so what they're doing, when you look at it, the governor's really tr trying to pull off a trifecta here. I mean, obviously she's the governor, right? The executive branch. She was elected to that position. Legislature, second branch of, governor, of government, right? Legislature is supposed to pass laws, right? Well, are they doing that right now? No. The governor's enacting her own laws. She calls them executive orders. And she does not have authority under the law to amend any state law that the legislature has passed, and that's what she's trying to do. So she's acting as the legislature. And then the, what's the third branch? We all know judiciary, right? The courts. And I just explained to you what she's doing there. She's trying to usurp the normal court process where you have protection and constitutional rights and put you into this administrative system that's, that's stacked against you. And that's what, they're try that's what she's trying to do. She's trying to become all three branches of government at the same time, and it is clear under Supreme Court precedent, both in Michigan and federal, that she cannot do that. And so that's what all these cases are all about. And our Michigan Supreme Court is going to hear a case uh, challenging these things on September 2nd. So you'll be hearing about that. In fact, the Court of Appeals is going to rule on the legislature's case. How many of you are aware the legislature filed suit you know, on these grounds? Well, the Court of Appeals is supposed to issue its decision tomorrow. The Supreme Court ordered them to do it tomorrow, so I expect they will. And then the Supreme Court's holding some hearings on the 2nd of September. When they issue their opinion, who knows? I mean, that could be a few weeks later. could be a few months later. Hopefully they won't wait that long. So there are things happening. And again, we have a number of cases in the hopper. Another case we filed in federal court was we filed on behalf of some churches in the state of Michigan because the governor had indicated churches could not open in Michigan. Can you recall that? Well, back in May, we filed a federal lawsuit against her saying, First Amendment, you can't tell churches what to do, and uh, you can't close them down. That's violating free exercise of religion. We filed the lawsuit on a Wednesday. The next day, Thursday, the governor amended her executive order allowing churches to be open. So that was pretty amazing. <laughs> Never had a case where we had that quick a response. It was the next day. She did not want to be going into federal court trying to justify what she was doing. So that's why in Michigan, you see churches have been allowed to be open now for three months, three and a half months. Now, a lot of them haven't for various reasons, but that's the point. The churches and individuals should be allowed to decide, right? That's the whole point here. And that gets into the good governance and all of that. Uh, the federal constitution, Article 4, um, guarantees everyone in this country a right to a Republican form of government. And I don't mean Republican political party. <laughs> Small r, Republican. Because we're a republic, right? We're not, every time you hear these, both sides do it, but every time you hear a politician saying, our democracy, this and that. You know, if you watched any of the Demo uh, Democrat convention last night, I bet I heard it 25 times. Our democracy's at risk, you know, and the crazy Trump's going to do this and destroy our democracy and all this kind of stuff. And I keep thinking to myself, you guys don't even know what kind of government we live under. We don't live in a democracy. We live in a representative republic. And if you don't understand what that is, you need to find out. <laughs> you need to educate yourself because that's what we live under. So 
these executive orders, you know, and I have people, we say this all the time. Well, you aren't wearing a mask, you aren't gonna wear a mask, you want me to die. <laughs> have you had anybody say that to you? I have, you know, it's hard not to laugh, you know. Like, yep, that's right, how'd you know? I want you to die. <laughs> I'm glad you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, how stupid is that, right? And now they're fostering this climate for people to turn on each other and turn each other in and all that kind of stuff. They're like, we're all brown shirts or something. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The point is this. We still live in a country that supposedly is free, <laughs> okay? And you have the right to make your own decisions. Now, when I go to Meijer and I'm buying groceries, do I wear a mask when I go in there? I have been. You want to know why? Because I'm choosing to, okay? Because I know, you know, you don't want to be a stumbling block to a neighbor and things like that. There's a lot of Christian principles behind it, okay? But it's not because I'm being ordered to. And I take it off. You know, the minute they start ordering that you have to wear a mask all the time outside, like President, uh, uh, Vice President Biden is pushing for, uh, no. <laughs> that ain't happening. Um, but it should be your choice. And that's the point here with these orders. So people say, well, what's the big deal? The governor's saving lives. Well, that's a whole other talk, and that's simply, flatly not true. Um, she's actually cost lives in this, in this state with her policies. And it's demonstrably true. Go to the CDC, look at the numbers. Look at the, the um, nursing homes and things like that. I mean, it's demonstrably true. And of course, there's a lot of division, even within the medical community, whether masks help or hurts. We have an epidemiologist, one of the most esteemed in the country, who's our expert witness, who's gonna be testifying in Carl Mankey's case next month. And he tells us point blank, masks hurt more people than they help. And he explains it. And, and he has kind of a nuanced thing, that there are times when a mask would be appropriate. But all of these people wearing masks and going into stores and doing all this, is is actually hurting more people than could potentially be infected by the virus. And, and he has a very logical explanation for it. But of course you don't hear that sort of thing. And people are in you know fear and panic mode, you know? And so I don't try to argue with anybody, you know, on that sort of thing. But I do say to them, I say, well then you enjoy living under a dictator. You know, well what are you talking about? Well our governor's a dictator. She's the legislature, she's the judiciary, she's the executive. Well, it's an emergency. Oh, really? Six months later, this is still an emergency? What was the purpose of the lockdown and all these things that we started doing back in March? Remember, two, two things. What did the governor say were the two reasons why we needed to do all this stuff? Flatten the curve, that was the biggest. What's the second one? Don't overwhelm our hospitals and medical community, right? Nobody talked about, we have to keep this emergency going until there's a vaccine. Folks, the SARS virus was with us, what, eight, 10 years ago, however long ago it was? They still don't have a virus for it, I mean a vaccination for it. I mean, if we're gonna sit there and say, she can be a dictator until we have a vaccine, are you kidding me? That will never happen. Do you want to talk about, you know, you hear the Democrats right now crying about how Trump's going to, you know, not abide by the elections and he's going to undo the election, you know, all this kind of craziness. What do you think Whitmer's going to do if we get to the election 
next year when it's her time up in a couple years, and she's still claiming there's an emergency and still operating under this, and she just says, well, we can't hold an election. Who's going to stop her? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, there are going to be a lot of lawsuits over it, but who's going to stop her? And if our judiciary doesn't start standing up, and it's going to be real interesting to see what the Supreme Court does September 2nd, um, we're, we could be in some serious trouble here. But I always tell people, look, the purpose of the lockdown and doing these things back in March, flatten the curve, don't overwhelm the medical system. Those were accomplished back by April. Okay? And when you look at the actual numbers and you look at that curve, it's been down since April. Well, we're almost to September, folks. Why are we still in an emergency? Because yesterday in Michigan, eight people died? Are you kidding me? I mean, more people die from the flu in the height of the flu season than that. You got or abortions. I mean, you got to be kidding me. You see how flawed this rationale is, okay? So now it's changed. It's no longer flatten the curve because we've done it. And it's no longer don't overwhelm the hospitals because that never happens. Now it's, well, we have to wait till there's a cure. And until there are no cases left, you know, well, that's ludicrous, okay? So I ask people, do you think our Constitution is meaningless? Is there some kind of pandemic exception in our Constitution? You know, this Constitution applies and your rights are protected unless there's a pandemic. Do you see that anywhere in there? Of course not. It's ridiculous, okay? And they rely, I don't have a lot of time to get into this, but they rely on a case, the Jacobson case from 1905, dealing with smallpox vaccination and frankly, a pretty poor decision by the U.S. Supreme Court 115 years ago. But they twist that case into saying, well, we can do whatever we want because it's for the public health and safety. I won't bore you with all the details of that right now, but just understand, whoever says that is lying. That is not what that case says. And in fact, uh, there have been a lot of court decisions pointing out that that's not what the case says. Um, so this attempt to try to keep this going all under the guise of, you know, I'm the government and we're here to help you. You know, we're just here to save lives is not true. Okay? And so that's why I say to people, why are you fighting these cases? It's because I don't live under a dictatorship. I live under a representative democracy, or <laughs> republic. Here, I did it myself. You know, we live in a representative republic. And are we right now? No, we are not which is why all these lawsuits are being filed and why we're filing a bunch of them. So that gives you a little background there. In terms of some of the other issues, again, I'll just quickly say that some of the things we're raising in the other cases, there's issues of equal protection. You know, if Taco Bell, Walmart, and your local marijuana shop and your Planned Parenthood abortion provider can all be open, you're telling me a gym can't? You know, who practices more safety protocols than any of those places. You know, we have a gym client right now. He's got seven locations. It's a big franchise nationwide. He's got seven of them here in the Southeast Michigan. There has not been a single case documented of COVID virus being found in any of the 400 gyms anywhere in the country. So where's the science and data, okay? Every time you hear Governor Whitmer talking science and data, understand she has no science and data, okay? 
she just throws it out and people are supposed to melt into a puddle and just go, oh, the science, the data, okay, man, I guess, you know, run over my rights, okay, uh, you know, go right ahead. I mean, are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. Or as Mr. Biden likes to say, come on, man. <laughs> right? I mean, that just, it makes no sense at all. So, equal protection. Everybody should be treated equally. There's, uh, we have uh, due process issues under the 14th Amendment, substantive due process, procedural due process. You know that they're right now taking people's licenses without a hearing, without any notice, without any opportunity to be heard, boom, just the you know, issue of a piece of paper from one of these agencies, your business is out of business now. That's what they did to Carl, a barber for 59 years. Never had a single complaint against him in 59 years and yet they summarily took his license. Does that sound like our fair system of American government to you? No, that sounds like something different out of some other types of socialist countries is what that sounds like to me. And that's what we're fighting are those sorts of things. Um, how many of you have heard of uh, the contract clause in the federal constitution? There's a guarantee that Government cannot interfere in private contracts unless there's some kind of a government um, like discrimination issue or things like that. Well, are they interfering in contracts? You bet. If they tell you you're shut down and your employees can't come in, do you still owe your rent to whoever you're renting your building from? Do you still owe suppliers that you have a running tab with and now you, you have a $50,000 bill but that's your typical and now you can't pay it? Who's interfering with contracts? right um, lots of issues like that um, let me just give you a couple of other things for businesses I know there might be some local business people here on the mask issue I, I brought this is something we drafted up if you're interested take a look at it it's at our website for Great Lakes Justice Center just go to our home page scroll down to the bottom and you'll see it um, you can click on it it's right there feel free to print it off and use it because we basically say in there that if you come to my office and you say you have a medical condition, you don't need to wear a mask in my office. Okay? So that's an exception in the executive order. Now, I've heard from people that some people, some businesses are still saying we're not going to honor that. So we might be filing a lawsuit over one or two of those. Because <laughs> even the governor's executive orders allowed for that, that exception. So keep that in mind if you're interested in that. I know some of you, Joel, sent me some of these warning notices that some folks have gotten here in town in the area uh, from the Branch Hillsdale St. Joe Community Health Agency, which is the local uh, health department. And they're you know, basically threatening businesses saying, well, you're not in compliance with the executive order and we can do nasty things to you, <laughs> you know, if you don't comply. Understand these letters are toothless, okay? Um, you can smile and be polite. And again, we always tell people, look, I'm, we're not out here to be belligerent or nasty to anybody or yell, scream, you know, sit there with your shotgun and your Bible and start yelling at people. I mean, that's not gonna get you anywhere. Um, you wanna always be polite and friendly no matter what. Doesn't mean you don't fight back, we do. <laughs> but it doesn't mean you have to be a jerk about it. Um, so these letters are not enforceable, okay? If you get 
something called an abatement order or a cease and desist law order, you need to call us or call an attorney right away because then there are things that you need to do before they try to go to court like they did against Carl and uh, try to shut you down. And that's the part of the case I was talking about. We went up to the Supreme Court here in Michigan and we won that. So um, that can be beaten. But do you think that stops them from still threatening people just because we won Carl's case? I don't know. <laughs> They're going to keep doing it. So understand, and then with these MIOSHA and other state agencies and going after licenses, what we're doing right now is we're going to be filing a lot of cases in the Court of Claims asking for injunctive relief to stop them if, they, if it gets to that point. But these kinds of letters, just smile and be friendly and say thank you, we'll take a look at it and keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> you know, It's not until they take it to a further step that you should seek some legal help and do something from there. Um, I know I've kind of rattled on here for, for quite a while already. Um, I know I've thrown a lot out there. Maybe I'll just open up for questions because a lot of times people have questions and that answers a lot of things that might be on your mind and things that are happening around here. But the bottom line is understand this. Our system of government is under assault right now. Our system of government is not functioning right now. We have no legislature. We don't have a, a, a judiciary that's standing up and protecting the rights of the people. It's not happening, very little. We got a good ruling out of the Supreme Court. We've gotten some good rulings here and there. But there are a lot of courts that are just rolling over. The fear of the pandemic is just as strong in judges as it is a lot of other people who are fooled by all the lies the media is putting out there, okay? And all of this to be said, does that mean the COVID virus is not real? Does that mean the COVID virus isn't dangerous? Does that mean you should be an idiot and you know, go to a mosh pit tomorrow? <laughs> I mean, you know, of course not. I mean, use common sense, but that's our point. We're adults. You can make your own common sense health decisions and how you're gonna handle these things. You don't need the nanny government mandating these things and doing it in a way that runs over your constitutional rights. And literally, and I mean this literally, not figuratively, literally destroys our form of government. And all under the mantra of we're just here to help you. We're here to save lives. How many times, if you watch Governor Whitmer, every news conference, we're saving lives. You know, no, she's not. Do you know the, how much increase there's been in child abuse? How much increase there's been in suicide? How much increase there's been in people dying from cancer and other types of maladies because they were too scared to go to the hospital? It dwarfs the number of deaths from the COVID virus. So that's what I talk about when I say they're killing more people than they're helping, okay? But again, all that to be said, that doesn't mean the virus isn't serious and shouldn't be taken seriously. And if you're in a higher risk group, you know, my wife and I, we are staying home more. We're not going out to a lot of things we used to do. I mean, they're common sense things, you know? But if you're under 45, you know, the risk to you is very, very, very small. And if your kids, it's off the charts small, okay? So, you know, we should be aware of that and take account for all of that. So, I think I've covered a lot there. Why don't I open up for questions? I'll try to repeat the question. Yes, ma'am.
do about businesses where the authorities keep harassing you and that sort of thing. It really is different all around the state. I would say the vast majority of the state, that's not happening. The police, in fact, there's something like 20 plus sheriffs now that have come out publicly and said, we will not enforce the executive order. That's great, yeah. So, you know, that's not happening. Um, it's, it's the state level that's coming in and harassing people. And that's why my hat's off to people like Carl Mankey and the Christie family and others, the churches we represent, who have been willing to take a stand under some real dire threats. You know, Carl Mankey, they had filed a uh, um, show cause hearing against him in an attempt to hold him in contempt of court because he was still open. And that show cause hearing, they were asking for him to be fined $7,500 per day, and they were asking for 90 days in jail. Well, we had a hearing set, but the, fortunately the Supreme Court came out and ruled, ruled our way, and then that threw everything out so they could not proceed with what they wanted to do. Look, folks, at the state level, the AG's office, the governor's office, I mean, these people are vindictive, they're not, I'm sorry, they're not rational in the way they're doing all of this. It's a power thing to them, and you will do what I tell you to do because I have the power. Now, honestly, folks, I'm dealing with these people, <laughs> okay? I'm dealing with these assistant attorney generals and the way they act and the way they talk, you know, to myself and my clients and stuff. It, it's, you know, I, I won't say I've lost my Christianity, but I don't take real kindly. <laughs> you know well he's got to decide whether or not see it's harder for the smaller guys yeah and they only have one or two spots it's harder for them because if they choose to go after him they the state he's going to be spending tens of thousands of dollars to fight him and if he doesn't have it he doesn't have it so that's why fortunately there are people out there that have the ability to fight and they are fighting so all you can do, I could say to somebody like that, is encourage them to say the fight is going. There will be decisions here over the next few weeks and months, one way or the other. I've actually heard through the grapevine, through some people, our contacts and things, that gyms could be open as early as next week. That the governor's feeling the pressure of it and realizing this doesn't make any sense. And so it sounds like she's going to back off. But who knows? You know, we'll find out. Yes. Shiawassee County, Owasso. How does the sheriff Yeah, the sheriff in Shiawassee County refused to enforce the governor's executive order, so they came in. How many of you saw Carl Mankey's barbershop being infiltrated by six state troopers, you know, and serving them with stuff? That's why they were doing it, because the local officials would not do it. No. State police has jurisdiction over the whole state. It's kind of, it's concurrent jurisdiction. They both have jurisdiction. For the ship, for his county and for his work, for his officers and enforcing what he does. But that doesn't mean it negates state authority. It doesn't. Well, you don't have to let them in. The question is, what about the health department? Do you have to let them in? The answer is no. Um, but Carl did. I mean, it's just the way he is. He's friendly with everybody. They all came in and they couldn't find anything to prove. Believe me, they tried. They tried contract tracing thousands of people that had been at his barbershop. They could not find a single case 
of the virus being spread uh, or caused. Well, again, they're claiming that that's what their recommendations were from their health experts and all that. I think we can all see the results of it. Well, that would be, I know, I know. But they have immunity. There's lots of issues there which go beyond what we can talk about tonight. But it's, uh, in fact, Dr. Caldoun, you guys know who that is? That's the Michigan director of our health for the whole state of Michigan, for the governor appointed her. She admitted a couple weeks ago at a press conference that over half the deaths in Michigan now have been nursing homes. And understand that does not include other types of long-term care facilities, group homes for older folks and things like that where there have also been a lot of deaths. I think you're gonna find maybe as high as 70, 75% of all the deaths in Michigan have been in those kinds of settings. And now does that put a different spin on everything you're hearing about when they give you Oh, 6,500 people have died in Michigan. Awful. I mean, that one person died. Awful, right? I mean, nobody poo-poos that. But they don't tell you the rest of it. Let me tell you another thing they're doing right now. We have spike in cases, right? Look at how many more cases. It's coming back, a second wave. That is an outright lie. Okay? I mean, I can't put it any plainer. That is an outright lie. Okay? And here's why. Are there more cases? today than there were a month ago or whatever in any particular day? Yeah. Does that mean we have more virus or that it's coming back or it's increasing or exploding? No. And here's why. A month ago, two months ago, how many people were getting tested? A few thousand people a day. Essentially, only people who were in the hospital <laughs> would get tested. And so that's where they were getting their numbers for the number of new cases every day for the virus because they're only testing people they already know are sick, okay? Well, now they're testing all kinds of people. And you remember last week, one day, oh, it shot up, it was 570 you know, new cases on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, it was 1,125 cases. Oh, panic, go you know, run in the streets, you're all gonna die, right? That was the way the media portrayed it. Guess what they didn't tell you? <laughs> the day where they found the 500 or so, new cases, they tested 20-some thousand people. The day when they found 1,100, they tested over 40,000 people, okay? So look at the percentages, folks. What's 500 people out of around 20,000 tests? Eh, 2%, right? Less than that. What's 1,100 out of over 40,000? Eh, about 2%. Is there a big wave of new cases coming? No, it just means more people got tested. That's all it means. Understand you're being lied to, okay? And so, again, it doesn't minimize the danger and if you're in that 2% and you get it, man, you know, get the prayer chains going, right? It's a nasty disease, but it's not the way it's being portrayed to you. Oh, good question. Yes, ma'am. Are you worried about the Black Lives Matter movement and the way that they're making, um, I don't know, neighborhoods and people to go out mm -hmm. and Yeah, the question is what about Black Lives Matter? It's a different issue here, but sure, I'm worried about that. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, 
Who in here disagrees that black lives matter? Who in here disagrees brown lives matter? That yellow lives matter? That white lives matter? Everybody's, what's the biblical principle? All lives matter, okay? There shouldn't be inequality. There shouldn't be injustice. I don't care who it is or whatever the circumstances are. But what does Black Lives Matter stand for? Um, I did a post. I, I do one about every couple weeks. My wife finally convinced me to go on Facebook. I resisted down to the bitter end. <laughs> but I went on a, about a month or so back. And so I've been doing a thing I call Saturday Morning Musings. And uh, I talked about this issue. And I said, you know what? I am not going to kneel to some organization that they openly say we are Marxist, we are socialist, we want the destruction of capitalism, we want the destruction of our form of government. Oh, and by the way, we hate the nuclear family. You know, two-parent families with kids and stuff? Nope, nope, that's not good. We need the village raising all the kids. You know what? I will fight to the death a group like that. They call themselves whatever they want. Okay? That's not... So you see how the issue's different, okay? I mean, I've grown up, you know, and people, my dad, when he was judge back in the 1960s in Ingham County, Michigan, there was not a single African-American employee in the county. Not a single one. My dad was in there 10 years as a probate judge and then became a circuit judge. In that 10 years, it, he, he was the only part of county government that would hire African-American folks, and he hired quite a few of them. And I can remember as a kid, it made a huge impression on me, you know, because he would have, I sat there and watched when I'm looking up. I know I don't look like I look up much, <laughs> but I was littler back then. And I can remember this guy coming up going, Jim, Jim, my dad's name was Jim. You shouldn't be doing this, man. You're going to get, you're going to lose votes. You're not going to stay in the judiciary. You know, you're, gonna, you're not going to make it. You can't be bringing these people in. And I'll never forget my dad looking at the guy going, if I lose votes because I hire qualified people to work for me, I don't care. <laughs> you know? And I thought that was a big lesson for me as a little kid. You know? And I don't know. I just grew up. I mean, I, like I say, a little thinner uh, back in the day. But I played college basketball. I was involved in a lot of stuff. I worked with a lot of folks of a lot of different races and played basketball out at MSU with all kinds of folks. Nobody ever thought, I mean, it never occurred to me to think about that. <laughs> you know, it just wasn't the way it is. It was, could you play ball? You know, or are you going to make us embarrassed out here playing and you're going to hurt our game? You know, you can't play. It was merit. You know, that's what I learned growing up. I could care less what your skin color is. And you know what? That's what the vast majority of Americans think. And so all this stuff, that's why I get angry. Systemic racism, are you kidding? This isn't Jim Crow days. I, you know, back in the 50s and 60s when my dad was fighting, absolutely, was there systemic racism? You bet. Where is it today? You know, they talk in Baltimore. I just heard the other day on, on one of the news channels. They're all talking about systemic racism in Baltimore because somebody, you know, oh, Freddie Gray, remember? Freddie Gray was killed. Well, you know, three of the five officers that were involved in that were black. The judge who heard the case was black. The prosecutor was black. Everybody, I mean, he just picked off all these things. 
Everybody was African American. Where's the systemic racism, folks? Okay, it's not there. Now again, that doesn't mean there isn't racism in some people and we should not stand for any kind of, I, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it's being spun and twisted, trying to make you feel guilty for something you're not guilty of, okay? At least I hope you're not, <laughs> you know? So, so Black Lives Matter, as a concept, I'm all for it. As an organization, I'll fight them to the death. Yes? Yeah, the school issue is a big one. The governor issued an executive order. A couple key points here. Again, I don't want to take a lot of time. Um, we have at our website, the Great Lakes Justice Center, we put up a, um, you can go to the resources and you can find our, our um, fact sheet and things we've written on this. But most of that executive order from the governor only applies to public schools, does not apply to private schools. So I'll just tell you that real quick. Well, again, honestly, at this point in time, personal opinion here, I would never send my kids to public school. And I know there's a lot of people you don't have a choice. I feel bad for you. But we have choices now with homeschooling and other things, private schools, and that's starting to boom in Michigan, starting to boom all over the place. And so I just want to encourage that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. The more you band together and join forces and provide a, yeah, provide a united front. Absolutely, it makes a difference. Yeah. Right. They can't. And if they pick one of you here in Hillsdale, everybody else can rally around that person and help support them, so they can fight. Absolutely. Yep. Encourage that. Yes, ma'am. right now no <laughs> hopefully within a few weeks in the Supreme Court will knock these out or somebody will start ruling there's some federal court cases too I mean until courts start reining this governor in or the petition drive I can't encourage everybody enough uh, to sign that petition that's going around to knock out the 1945 law because then her power goes away um, so yeah so if you haven't signed that petition that's going around, uh, you need to. It's online, it's easy to get a hold of. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, if you're not a member, you need to join them. It's only 100 bucks a year, and it's the same idea. Join together for all the homeschoolers in Michigan. If they go after one family, they got the money and the resources to fight it. That's how we handled the DeYoung case where we won in 1993. So absolutely, 
just as persistent with a smile on your face <laughs> okay again guys you know it's easy to get angry over this stuff who doesn't you know and here's somebody standing up and talking about anybody watch Tucker Carlson <laughs> you know you see him last night showing what was actually going on in a lot of those meetings during the day at the DNC oh my goodness you know they're outright coming out, destroy capitalism, destroy the family, you know, on and on. I mean, they're not, they're not holding back at all of what they want to do. So we have to be just as persistent. And it doesn't do any good to yell and scream and call people names. You know, and I see stuff like that, I just cringe. You know, I mean, it's not going to persuade anybody. Look, you've got this 30% or so, you know, um, on the on the fringes, and then you have a lot of people that are more our way in the right up into the middle. But you've got about a 20% group of people who really don't follow much of anything. You know, they're ambivalent about all this stuff. Um, do they like the riots and what they're seeing? No. You know, they just need to be given a reason for why they should go one way versus the other. And it's not going to do any good if you stand up and start calling people names and yelling and screaming. You know, let them, they're going to call you names, <laughs> okay? I mean, let me give you an example. My, uh, my brothers, you have to appreciate brothers, right? <laughs> they were involved, have been involved in a, a, a process. Their book was number one in the business section on Amazon for about a year and a half. And they called it the Nehemiah Effect. And any of you who know about agile computer programming, it's used by all the huge corporations in the world. They all use Agile. So my brothers came up with this plan. They applied the principles from the book of Nehemiah to Agile and increased productivity like 30% or something in all these businesses that did it. So it became real popular. They've been hired by companies all over the world. I mean, it's gone really well for them. But they started getting blowback from people because they were using the Bible. Okay? And so they were being called a particular pejorative name, which I will not repeat, <laughs> okay? And so they, Ted said, my brother, well, you know, we can go on Google or some program or something, and you type in your name and type in that word, the pejorative, and it'll pop up with every place on the internet where your name and that word are within like five words of each other, that there's a way of doing that. So they ran my brother, Andy's name first, and it came up, 5,800 times or something on the internet that his name and that Nancy were, were right there. People calling them names because of what they were doing. So they ran my brother Ted. He came out just under 10,000 times on the internet. Well, then they looked at each other and said, we should put Dave in there. He's always getting people mad at <laughs> with what he's doing. So they put my name in with that word. Guess how many times it came up? 2.7 million. <laughs> okay so I mean I learned a long time ago my dad always did the same thing you know I, I say dad they're tearing you up in the press and they're lying about you and all this stuff he said I always just tell them to spell my name right <laughs> you know there's a certain amount of this you, you know if you worry and fret about that kind of stuff I feel sorry for you 
There's no point. And it gets like some of you said, it, it shows you're being effective. You know, so I I take it as a badge of honor <laughs> myself. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Um, private employers can do a lot, like testing. I mean, right now, how many of you work for a company and they require drug testing? Yeah, see? That's a common thing, right? How many of them require other things? I mean, those sorts of things they can do. So, regardless of the governor's executive orders, if Meyer wanted to have a mask thing, even after the orders are gone and they still wanted to enforce that, that's up to them. And under our system, then what can you do? Well, you can walk down the street to Kroger, you know, or go to Walmart or something like that where they aren't doing that. They'll learn real quick to get rid of that requirement <laughs> if they want to stay in business. You know, let our system work. It works. Capitalism works, you know. All right. Anybody else? A lot of false positives, false yeah. Well, again, I don't know if it's on purpose. Again, I, I don't like to ascribe, you know, nefarious motives. I mean, look, does the governor believe in what she's doing? Does she think she's doing the right thing? I don't doubt that she does. I don't agree with her. I don't think she is, and she's running roughshod over our rights. But I don't question her motives, you know. Um, so, like with the false tests, I don't think people are out there going, hey, let's run a bunch of false tests. I think it's just, a, it proves the testing's not 100% accurate. That's what it proves. And how many people have you seen, like the Matthew, uh, Matthew Stafford, the Lions quarterback, right? He, oh, he's tested positive for COVID. It was all over the national news. Matthew Stafford has the virus. Then they ran tests three days in a row and they were negative every time. So it was a false positive. That's happening a lot. And then, you know, I am aware of cases like this one young man was in a motorcycle accident, wasn't wearing a helmet, <laughs> you know, it was his choice. Uh, but he died because of head injury. And when he, they were doing the autopsy, they ran the test and found out he had the virus. But he had absolutely no symptoms. He got put down as a, a COVID test. Well, he didn't die because of the COVID virus. He died because he didn't wear a helmet and he got in an accident, okay? So that's another way they're ramping up the numbers, you know, to make it look worse than what it is. Um, so that's what I'm saying, understand, you're not being told the truth here. You just aren't, yes. not really false. I mean, if the person has the virus, that's not false. They have it. But if they say, in my medical opinion, that means they died from that, well, that's their medical opinion. You can get a second opinion who would say something different. You know, I mean, you, look, you can't force somebody else to violate their conscience or their, you know, what they believe to be true any 
anymore, then they should be allowed to do that to you. You know? Yeah. And the second question is, what if I am denied paying this legal tender money bill to the United States Senate? What are my rights to because they take away money? You mean you've been denied offering cash to something and they wouldn't well, take the cash? They are taking our change. I've not heard of that. If you go to Kroger, they take your change and put it on a card. You have to pay with the exact change. And then Taco Bell, you have to pay with the exact change. You can't order. Huh. So I just see it as well, starting. I would say that. if I pulled up at a Taco Bell, and, and they say, well, you have to have the exact change. I say, well, good luck with the food. I'm not paying for that. And I would never go to Taco Bell again. I mean, that's the way you handle that. Yeah. But to your overriding question, look, there's been a lot of talk for years about capitalist society and all that sort of thing. And I, I can see it moving that way, absolutely. I mean, I think the Bible talks about that quite a bit. You know, I mean, I, of course I'm opposed to that. I'm not sure the CDC has the right to tell them to do it, but if the hospital decides we're going to go along with what the CDC says, that's up to the hospital and the board. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's why so many hospitals were having such problems here until they started doing elective surgeries again and things like that, because the hospitals were empty. They thought there was going to be an overrun of, of virus patients, and it didn't happen. And they were dying because they weren't getting all that income from all the hip replacements and the, you know, the knee replacements and the CAT scans and the MRIs and everything else. The hospitals—that's their lifeblood, you know—is providing those kinds of services. So, yeah, Our, my daughter-in-law is an RN, works in the cancer ward at Barrow and Lansing. So I, she says the same thing. It's like there's areas of the hospital. It's like a ghost town. There's nobody there because they've been mandated to keep a certain number of beds open. And it's ridiculous, and it's costing them big money. But I think all the hospitals, because I've been to a couple of different ones, are required to keep X number of rooms open for COVID patients. And it's never come That never come, right. law needs to be thrown out and that's what this petition drive will do because that's what the governor is acting on right now is the courts have ruled against her on the 1976 law but not on the 1945 law I think that's a wrong decision that's what hopefully the Supreme Court will fix but that 1945 law needs to be thrown out and that's what this petition drive will do and if they get enough signatures the legislature can pass it and they will pass it I've talked to Mike Shirky and the Lee Chatfield it will pass without a doubt. And then the governor cannot veto it. That's why this is so effective. And then her power is over. The day that happens, her power is over. Okay, regardless of what the courts do. Regardless of what the courts do. So that's why there's a lot of fronts where people are fighting. So, yes, sir.
Absolutely. Well, they both do. So Forty-five y and the seventy-six right. y. But isn't that flatly unconstitutional? Well, it depends. Don't you love that answer from a lawyer? <laughs> kind of, maybe. <laughs> for short, there are, ca there are cases all over the place where, for short periods of time in real emergencies, to allow for a quick, you know, handling of something. Usually you're thinking it's in, in the sense of riots or war or things like that where it's been used. Um, but it's, you know, that kind of thing has been upheld, which is why we did not file any lawsuits till after April 30th. We didn't. I mean, I didn't like a lot of the stuff that was going on for that first six weeks, but we didn't file any lawsuits. Why not? Because the legislature approved and gave her the authority and extended it to the end of April. But when we got to the end of April and the legislature said, no more, we're not extending it, and then she just kept doing it anyway, we, we had a suit filed, we had our church suit filed within three days or something, you know? And we've been filing suits ever since. Um, you know, because the April 30th was the, the hinge point, you know, where now she's, she's going rogue, you know, and just ignoring our laws. And the other thing that's key to remember, a lot of you may not realize this, there are two emergency laws. That's part of the confusion here. There's a 1945 law and there's a 1976 law. And um, the 1976 law is the only one that specifically talks about pandemics and epidemics. The 1976 law says if there's an epidemic or a pandemic, the governor can act, blah, blah, blah. The 1945 law is silent. doesn't talk about it at all. And yet, some liberal judges have said, well, it talks about emergencies. Emergency could be anything, and so we're going to say she can do it. That's what hopefully the Supreme Court will throw out, okay? Because those two laws are supposed to be read together. And if the one law specifically applies, the more specific law trumps the more general law, the general maxim in the law. So, don't want to hit you with too much legalese, but. <laughs> Well, September 2nd is the oral argument at the Michigan Supreme Court, and then you have to wait for them to issue their decision. I doubt they're going to issue it September 2nd. So hopefully they'll be within a couple weeks, you know, they'll issue something. Um, but once they issue it, well, then that's Michigan, that's it's the Supreme Court of Michigan, and it's a Michigan statute. The U.S. Supreme Court's not going to look at that. That's a state issue, not a federal issue, um, which is why we're raising First Amendment issues you know, Commerce Clause, Guarantee Clause, all these other federal constitutional issues, that's why we're raising them, is because then, if need be, we could get to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, but they're only ruling on the statutory issues between these two laws. And that's why this petition drive, thank you for being here tonight, is so important, because none of it matters if that petition drive gets all the signatures they need and the legislature passes it, it's over. Okay? Yeah, what's the ratio between Democrats and Republicans uh, on the courts, Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court? Uh, court of Appeals, I couldn't tell you. And honestly, in the judiciary, especially at the appellate levels, Republican-Democrat doesn't really mean much. Okay? You need to ask, and this is something people always say, how do you know who to vote for as a judge? Okay? If you have a local person running for a local judge seat, ask them. Where do you stand on the Constitution and how it should be interpreted? Do you believe in a strict construction, some people call it original 
uh, text, you know, do you follow the original text? Or do you believe the Constitution can be the living, breathing document? That's kind of the way they talk about it all the time. Well, that's your key right there. If somebody says, oh, no, I should be able to, <clears throat> for the good of society, you know, make decisions because and interpret the Constitution to do what's good for people. You don't want that person on the bench, you know. So that's the kind of question you should ask. And so there are Republicans who believe just as strongly in the living, breathing Constitution argument as there are some Democrats who don't, you know. Now, generally, typically, most Republicans believe in the, you know, strict construction, and most Democrats don't, but it's really not a, a fine line. And right now in our Supreme Court, we essentially have three, con I'd go by conservative and liberal, you know. We essentially have three conservatives, three liberals, and uh, the newest justice, Clement, nobody really knows. <laughs> now she came from Rick Snyder's administration, Governor Snyder, um, but she's kind of been a mixed bag. She ruled our way in the Mankey case, and she ruled our way in this Wood case I just told you about. So I can't say I could complain about that. <laughs> But uh, on these kinds of big issues, we're gonna get a good sense of where Judge Clement is at with these decisions. She could be the swing vote one way or the other on what happens on these cases. So watch that closely. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. We, when we were kids, we used to go to your house all the time. We were at church and your folks would have us over after church. It was a lot of fun, a lot of great memories. Almost wiped out my car one day there. Your dad helped me. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, folks. I'll, I'll hang around if somebody has a question they didn't want. I'll do it. Obviously, thank you so much, David, for coming to Hillsdale. Uh, we appreciate the advice. We appreciate your patriotism. You know, upholding the Constitution is something that each and every one of us has the responsibility of doing. And uh, just kind of follow in the footsteps of those leaders that step up and uh, uphold that Constitution. Um, so I just want to, you know, I, I want to say that uh, Stand Up Hillsdale is going to uh, be working to have like an association. So if there is an interest in that, um, we have our email, standuphillsdale at gmail.com. Um, so it's really easy to, uh, it's really easy to remember. Um, so you can go ahead and uh, send us an email if you're a business, you're interested, um, if you're involved in homeschooling, anything like that, uh, if it's your school board, whatever. We want to try to get an association together so that we can, you know, work easier with David and uh, his law firm and then other local law firms to try to just get whatever kind of resources we can to you guys, quick and easy, so that everybody's standing up. And if everybody stands up, we don't have to put up with this tyranny anymore. I'm tired of it. So there's like I said, we have the GreatLakesJC.org website, which covers a lot of the constitutional issues.
So yeah, I mean, you, you just Google David Coleman and you'll find, uh, I think you might find some of the expletives that he was talking about, but you'll also find his legal group. Um, so I've shared it. You've shared it? Awesome. So hopefully we'll get those resource, resources out to you guys. Um, thank you so much for being here. Um, so you guys go ahead and head.